Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello, and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Every episode on Fireside, we take a story from mythology or folklore, retell it, have a chat about the story itself and about the craft, culture, and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan, and I am your host and your Fireside bard. I'm trying to mix that up a little bit, mixed up the intonation of it just a little bit. It is episode 11 of Fireside. You're very welcome back. If it is your first time listening to the podcast, you are even more welcome. Well, no, you're equally as welcome as those who are returning. But if it is your first time listening to it, uh, thank you so much for listening. And um, I would recommend maybe going back to the beginning of the podcast as I think we're building up a little bit of a flow here. But if not, this might be a good introduction as well. There's no prior podcast you need to have listened to to enjoy this episode. And if you are a returning listener, which I'm very, very pleased to say we are starting to build now, um, thank you so much. I really hope you're enjoying it, listening to it as much as I'm enjoying um, recording these, writing and recording these. Our episode 11, we are returning to folklore, to Irish folklore. And we have a lovely lovely little story today. I I think I'm naturally drawn to the more outlandish and humorous. Humor is definitely the biggest thing I look for when I'm looking at these Irish folk tales. It's something that... Humor is something that is such a... so embedded in the Irish, this dark sense of humor that we're so known for, both to each other and and to those abroad. I think it's one... It's one almost stereotype, for lack of a better word, about the Irish that is is believed by both foreign and and Irish people is that we have this this deeply rooted um, post colonial, if you will, um, dark sense of humor. <coughs> um, but this story that I'm about to tell now, this isn't very dark. This is light enough, um, but it's it's just quite nice. Um, there's there's a great sense of humour to it and a great sense of wonder but I just, I found it and I thought this story was really lovely um, I will talk a lot about this story and about where this story came from afterwards but I'll get right to it it is, it's an odyssey it is an odyssey I have to say it's one I found quite recently uh, and I'm very excited to tell it to you now um, my version of this story is called A Quest for Tobacco Um in a book I found it in, it has been called A Far Spin for Tobacco. And I believe the original story in the original, the early, probably the earliest printed version of it um, is called Sean Palmer and his quest. Sean Palmer and his trip to America with the fairies, I think is the, um, 
I suppose the quite clear, the you know, that pretty much does say everything that's going to happen in the story. Um, but I thought a clever or better title was possible. That doesn't take away from the story itself. So I'll get right to it without further ado. I'd like to point this out before we get started. Um, I believe in one of my first earlier episodes... I don't know which one it was. Maybe I've said it in a, a few a few episodes. And possibly, I thought I was not alone in this, but maybe I was. The phrase, without further ado, I apparently said, without further ado, and I was pointed out by my father. We were sitting around the dinner table, and he had said that he had listened to one of the episodes of this podcast, which I was delighted to hear. That was very nice. Um, but he said, the only thing was, you said, without further ado. And I said, what's wrong with that? He's like, it's without further ado. I said, is that not a pronunciation thing? You know, like do, do, like D-E-W. Not that I thought it was spelled D-E-W. He was like, no, it's A-D-O. And I said, I do. Is that even a word? What does that even mean? And of course I looked it up and could see that he was, of course, right. Because without further ado would mean like without further goodbyes, which doesn't make any sense. But I couldn't find any reason, anything as to what ado meant. And then I was chatting, chatting on the phone to my girlfriend about this, and she said, uh, "Is much? Ad- what about much ado about nothing? The play?" And I, oh shit, yeah. Sorry for cursing there. That's what we're trying to make this clean podcast. Much ado about nothing is a lot of going on about nothing. And it suddenly all made sense to me. So I apologize if uh, if that was the most obvious thing in the world. But that was that was something I learned this week, certainly. I will probably attempt to never say that phrase ever again. <laughs> but it's good to know. It's good to have that clear in my, in my mind that I won't. So I apologize to any of you who did notice that and thought that that was, taught me very uncouth or very uncultured. So without further ado, let me present... Episode 11 of Fireside, the Irish Storytelling Podcast. This is A Quest for Tobacco. A Quest for Tobacco. I'm so tired. I'm feeling so upset. Although I'm so tired, I'll have another cigarette. And curse Sir Walter Raleigh. He was such a stupid git. John Lennon Once upon a time in Ireland, there was such a thing as an egg woman. It's important to point out that an egg woman isn't a kind of fairy who lays, or, as it would be much more likely, steals eggs. Or even a fairy shaped like an egg. A Celtic bride for Sonic the Hedgehog's arch-nemesis Dr. Eggman, if you will. An egg woman was one of our own human people who would wander the countryside in search of eggs. She would carry with her household essentials, which she would exchange with farmers for the produce of their hens. In return, the egg woman would trade things like soap, needles, thread, and of course, the most valuable commodity of all, tobacco. It was an efficient system. The egg woman always had the best eggs, and the farmers and their families would have to make fewer trips into town for the essentials, which was, well, essential, considering most farms and houses were built several miles away from the local towns and villages. But this isn't a story about the egg woman. This is a story about Sean Palmer. 
Sean Palmer was one such farmer who lived in the village of Crosshaven, which is located where the River Lee joins the Atlantic Ocean, all the way down in southern County Cork. Crosshaven was, and still is, a fishing village. And Sean Palmer, like many other Crosshaven dwellers, owned a small fishing boat, which he docked in the harbour. However, Sean very rarely took his little boat out. He had been given less and less reason to go into the local village because of the local egg woman. While his wife and children valued her other wares, the only thing Sean Palmer was interested in from this egg woman was tobacco. There was little more Sean Palmer loved than to sit back in his chair after a long old day on the farm with his pipe and some fresh tobacco. It wouldn't be unfair to say that Sean Palmer had probably a greater appetite for tobacco than the next farmer, so the visits from the egg woman were nearly always on a daily basis, which was no problem for Sean, because he had a lot of chickens. Every exchange would be the same, a half a dozen eggs for a finger of tobacco. Happy days. But of course, one day, the egg woman never showed up. This was unlike her, thought Sean. But then he considered, to be fair, what did I expect from some egg-crazed old one? Sean had a secret stash of tobacco, which he duly tucked into that night. Then the next day came, still no egg woman. Sean tucked into the secret tobacco stash again. Within a week, Sean didn't even have the recycled ends of a dirty roly left of tobacco. When it came to week two of no egg woman, the tobacco craving started to kick in. There's nothing for it, Mary, because, of course, Sean's wife's name was Mary. I'll just have to venture into the village to get my own tobacco. Or you could, you know, just have a break from smoking, or maybe even quit altogether. Don't be ridiculous, Mary. Sure, we don't even know that smoking is bad for you yet. These are quaint, frugal times we're living in. That may be, but even in today's times you do smoke an awful lot, Sean. This isn't about tobacco, Mary. This is about finding out what happened to the egg woman. Or is it now? So you're not going in to get any tobacco while you're out? Well, come on now, Mary. I'd be mad not to while I'm out. You are a dose, Sean Palmer. Do you or, or the children need anything? I could get that too while I'm out. Nah, you'd only get the wrong things. Fair. Will you have your dinner first? There's no time for dinner, Mary. I'm on a quest for tobacco. And without saying another word to his wife or children, and without shoes on his feet or a hat on his head, Sean Palmer strolled out the door and off on his hunt for his beloved smoke. Grabbing a branch of a blackthorn tree for support, he made the long journey into Crosshaven Village. There he would visit Sean the Lux, who was the local shopkeeper. There were, and still are, a lot of Seans in Crosshaven, and most other towns in Ireland for that matter. Sean the Lux shop meant walking by the harbour and the boatyard. Sean Palmer stopped a minute when he realised he was walking past his own little fishing boat. It looked in rag order. Chipped and faded, it was in desperate need of a new paint job and to be thoroughly cleansed of the sea life slowly moving their way up the hull. As Sean Palmer stared at his pitiful little boat, he overheard two voices. There's Sean Palmer, and by the look on his face, he's looking for some tobacco. Oh, you're not wrong there. 
Sean Palmer looks as if he's been dazed without a good smoke. Two very tall men were approaching, neither of whom Sean recognised. But he didn't say anything because it was a small village, and he felt he should know everyone, so he was too embarrassed to ask more than anything. Moreover, Sean was perplexed as to how the two men knew that he was on the hunt for tobacco. I must be in some state if passers-by can read my predicament from my face alone, he thought to himself. The two men came to either side of Sean. Well, Sean Palmer, said one of the men. Well, boys, said Sean Palmer. I take it you don't have any backo, Sean Palmer, said the other man. Would you believe I don't? It's been over a week since that egg woman came to visit. I've ran through my entire secret stash and now have to walk all the way to Sean the Locks to get some more. That's a terrible state of affairs, Sean Palmer, said one man. Terrible isn't the word, said the other. But you know, said the first man, before Sean could speak again, do you see those two men over beyond sitting in that sailboat? I do. I, I don't think I know them, replied Sean. They're all friends of ours, said the other man. We happen to know they have an abundance of tobacco. They'd be more than willing to share with a friend of ours. Oh, really? And who would that be? You, Sean Palmer. Ah, yes, of course. Save yourself the money and the long walk to Sean Deluxe. Go over there and ask our pals. Sean gave this some thought. He had already been walking much longer than anticipated. He was out of the practice of walking into the village. He was regretting not eating the dinner Mary had offered him. And as he looked out at the sea beyond the harbour, he realised the sun was beginning to set. He wondered would he even make it to Sean the Locks in time. If he didn't, it would have all been for nothing. Oh God, all he wanted was a bloody smoke. Was that so much to ask? Do you know what? said Sean Palmer to the two strangers. I'll be dead forever. Shall I'll go over there and ask them. The two tall men thought that this was quite a strange thing to say, but smiled to themselves and waved Sean Palmer goodbye as he walked towards the sailing boat. Well, boys, announced Sean Palmer to the two men sitting in the docked boat. I hate to ask, but could I trouble you for a smoke of tobacco? I haven't had one in days. The egg woman went and buggered off on me. Sit into that boat there, Sean Palmer said one of the sailors. Fill your pipe as much as you want. You can have your fill of tobacco and much more besides. Sean couldn't believe his luck. Climbing into the boat, he said, Ah, you're too kind. Although the devil take me, I've forgotten my pipe. Don't worry about that. You can smoke mine, said the other sailor. And he handed Sean the finest crafted pipe the tobacco-starved farmer had ever seen. It's a cap and Peterson, dry system pipe, the sailor said. Two German brothers and a Latvian man settled in Ireland and set up a pipe makers in Dublin. They created this new pipe that collects moisture, ensuring a drier and cleaner smoke. Sean Palmer didn't need to hear any more. He filled the pipe with the sailor's tobacco, and sure enough, it was the finest smoke he had ever had. The three men sat together in the little sailing boat, smoking and chatting and laughing. Soon, 
The two other men, who had told Sean to approach the boat in the first place, came walking by once more, and they were invited by the two sailors to join them. No sooner than when the five men were settled in the boat, were the sails raised, the ropes untethered, and the boat steered clean out of Crosshaven Harbour. Sean would have had a moment's thought of his wife and kids at home if he didn't still have a pipe full of tobacco to smoke. He was having a great time with the lads. What harm is it? he thought to himself. Shall I finish this smoke? Well, I'll have the lads drop me off then. However, by the time Sean had finished that pipe, and another full one, for he had to have one for the road, Sean Palmer began to see lights in the distance. Dear God, he said out loud, is that the light of Mizzenhead I see? Mizzenhead being at the southwestern tip of Ireland, and while still in the county of Cork, a far spin from Sean's home in Crosshaven. Let us never forget, Cork is a very big county. Relax, Sean Palmer, said the sailor. You'll be home to Mary before your dinner's gone cold. Besides, that's not Mizzenhead. Those are much brighter lights than those at Mizzenhead. Sean was confused. He did own a fishing boat, after all, so he knew the waters well, but didn't recognise any of his surroundings. Perhaps it had been too long since he had sailed. Perhaps he'd lost his touch, or perhaps, just perhaps, he had smoked too much tobacco. (gasps) We aren't in Kerry, are we? gasped Sean. The four men burst out laughing. It almost seemed menacing. No, Sean Palmer, one of them said. We're in New York. At first, of course, Sean didn't believe them. He thought for sure they were in Dingle or possibly even Tralee. Sean had never been to Tralee either. But even Sean Palmer had to admit that what he was looking at looked like nothing else in Ireland. The buildings were ten times the width and size, and it was more people than he had ever seen in Cork City. Forget Cork City. This place looked like the population of Ireland in one giant town. Finally, Sean began to see the sights he recognised from postcards sent home to Crosshaven by his brother and sister, who had both emigrated to America. It all began to sink in. One of the men Sean had been travelling with saw his ghostly expression and said, It's all right, Sean. I know it might be a bit of a shock, but we are, in fact, in New York City. You've a brother living here, don't you? I do, said Sean. But I've not seen him for years. I don't even have an address for him. Oh, don't worry about that, said the other man. Just follow us. And so... Sean Palmer followed the two strangers into the heart of New York City, while the two sailors remained ducked at the quay. A bigger culture shock to Sean than the sheer amount of people surrounding him was that he knew nobody, and nobody recognised him. That didn't stop people from staring, though. It was at this point that Sean became aware of the comparatively tattered rags he was wearing compared with the finery that he saw on others here. He certainly was the only person there not wearing any shoes. Everyone else seemed so unfriendly. He knew everybody was a stranger. But if he ever saw a stranger back home, 
he'd at least give them a nod of the head. Everyone here just blustered past him, always seemingly in some great rush. The three men finally arrived at a large tenement building. Your brother lives in there, said one of the men. Knock on the door and ask for him. Sean Julie did this, and a man answered. Excuse me, Ed, does Paddy Palmer from Crosshaven live here? Three flights of stairs later, Sean was at the door of his brother's apartment. He knocked on the door. When Paddy Palmer answered the door, he nearly fainted. The sight of the brother he had left in Ireland so many years ago was too much for him. Standing before him with no shoes on his feet and tattered rags for clothes made Paddy assume Sean was a ghost. Sean, is that you? It is, Paddy. Well, bye. Are you dead? If I was dead, I'd hardly have knocked on the door, would I? Well, you always were very polite, laughed Paddy after breathing a huge sigh of relief. The two brothers embraced. I'd no idea you were coming over here. Uh, When did you get here? About half an hour ago. Really? Uh, And and when did you leave Ireland? Uh, About an hour ago. The look of bafflement returned to Paddy's face. He invited Sean in, sat him down, and Sean told him his whole story. Of the disappearance of the egg woman, his pursuit of tobacco, and his impromptu sea voyage with four total strangers. Paddy didn't know whether to laugh or call a doctor. Had his brother gone mad after a long voyage at sea? But once Sean had finished his story, Paddy's role as an older brother kicked in. Right, Sean. First things first. What I'm going to do is make you some dinner. For by the sounds of it you haven't eaten in an age. It certainly feels like I haven't, agreed Sean. Paddy made Sean a massive vat of spaghetti and meatballs with mountains of cheese on top. Sean devoured the meal while Paddy went into his next-door neighbour. By the time Paddy returned, Sean had cleaned his plate. Oh, I feel like a new man, said Sean. You'll look like one too when I'm done with you, said Paddy. Here's my best suit and my best pair of brogues. I want you to have them. Ah, Paddy, I couldn't possibly take those on you. No brother of mine is going to walk the streets of New York in tattered rags. Take them. You need them more than I do. I'm doing well enough for myself over here anyway. Sean took the clothes, put them on, and was unrecognisable in his new finery. But Paddy Palmer wasn't done yet. He handed Sean a parcel. Here's a half a year's worth of tobacco that shall get you through the next egg woman drought. Ah, Paddy, and take this money too. Bring it home to Mary and the kids, and don't think any more on it. I was going to send you money at Christmas anyway. This way, I'll at least save on postage. Sean was bowled over at his older brother's generosity. He hugged Paddy again and thanked him for all he'd done. The brothers promised they would see each other again soon. The two tall strangers were still waiting for Sean outside the tenement. When they saw him emerge in his new suit and shoes, one said, Well, well, Sean Palmer, it seems you did very well out of that exchange. Here, give me that parcel and that money. I'll take them back to the boat for you. 
These two men hadn't steered Sean wrong so far, so he saw no reason not to trust them now. While one walked away, the other man grabbed Sean's arm and said, Don't you have a sister in Boston? I do, said Sean Palmer. But again, I've no address or anything. Do you still doubt us after all you've seen, Sean Palmer? I know the way. Before Sean knew it, he was in a different city and standing outside a house with a big blue door. There was a beautifully tended garden in front of it and Sean knew it must belong to his sister Koch. She always loved tending the garden at home. Well, go on then, said the man who had brought him there. Knock on the door. And he walked away. Sean knocked on the door. A middle-aged woman answered. Excuse me, I'm looking for Koch Palmer. I am Koch Palmer. Do you not remember your own brother, Sean? Koch Palmer reacted much the same way Paddy did, thinking the ghost of her brother had come to visit her one last time before moving on. Is it seriously more likely that I'd be a ghost than actually here in the flesh? said Sean. It's certainly more likely that you'll be dead than to see you wearing a suit, laughed Koch. Sean was invited in, and once again he recounted his entire tale, and once again he was thought a loon, and once again he had money shoved in his fist. Koch, I don't need your money, said Sean. Paddy's already given me too much. Take it, if not for yourself, then for your children. I I don't know how you came here today, but I'm not letting you leave empty-handed. Sean left his sister's home, and when he got back outside, both of the tall men were standing there. Looks like you didn't do too badly again, Sean Palmer, one said. Come on, it's time to head back to New York, said the other. When they were walking the streets of Manhattan again, Sean realised that he had lost the sailor's good pipe. Oh, God, after his big spiel about the Germans and the Latvians, cried Sean. Relax, Sean Palmer, said one man. The pipe is very easily replaced. Very easily, said the other. Didn't you used to go out with a girl called Koch Strachey-Rocher? Yes, I did said Sean. What makes you ask me that? Because she moved to New York, and she lives in that very house. The tall man was now pointing across the street at a row of buildings. They weren't nearly as nice as his sister Koch's, but were still nice enough. Sean Palmer walked across the road and knocked on the door. He was nervous. He had always loved Koch Strucker O'Shea, and had very nearly married her. He didn't know what he would say, but he couldn't not see her. A woman answered the door, who instantly threw her arms around him. Koch struck Air O'Shea could never forget Sean Palmer. She asked him how he was and what he was doing there. And in that moment, Sean Palmer decided to not tell Koch the truth. He knew how unbelievable his story was. He scarcely believed it himself. He hadn't minded telling his brother and sister, but this was a different matter entirely. So he told Koch that he had been in New York for months, and that he was heading back to Ireland that very night. He said he just couldn't leave town without calling round to say hello. After they briefly caught up with each other, Koch handed Sean some money. 
Sean, could I trouble you to take this $20 home with you for my brother in Crosshaven? You can keep $5 for yourself as payment. Coach, don't worry about payment. I'll give your brother the full 20 It would be my pleasure. There's something else, said Coach, reaching behind her back. There was a time when I thought you were going to ask me to marry you. There was a time where I thought I was too. But it never felt like the right time, admitted Sean. Yes, well, there was something I was going to give to you that I never did. And I still have here with me. I don't know what brought you here today, but I want you to have it. Koch pulled from behind her back the most beautiful pipe Sean had ever seen. It's a cap, a cap and Peterson. Oh, you know it. I certainly do, said Sean. Well, you used to be so fond of smoking tobacco. I thought it would be perfect. Do you still smoke tobacco, Sean Palmer? If this had been a movie, this is the point where Sean Palmer would have looked directly at the camera. The ad time, Koch. Oh, only the ad time. Sean took the pipe, put it in his pocket, hugged Koch O'Shea goodbye, and set off with the two tall men back to the boat docked in New York Quay. Once on board the boat, Sean took the pipe out of his pocket and handed it to one of the sailors. I'm terribly sorry, but I'm after losing your pipe. But this brand new Cap'n Peterson has come into my possession. I'd like you to have it. Go away out of that, Sean Palmer. Stick that pipe between your teeth and smoke away. Coach O'Shea wanted that for you. Sean Palmer didn't need to be told again. He sat back in the boat, filled the pipe with tobacco and began to smoke. Soon the sails were up and the boat had cleared New York Harbour. No sooner had Sean finished that pipe when he saw the lights he recognised immediately as those of Crosshaven. This time Sean was correct. The ship pulled up to the spot where Sean had climbed aboard barely a few hours ago, which felt like a lifetime. He collected his effects, climbed out of the boat, and when he turned around to thank the four men for all that they had done for him, the boat had vanished, as if consumed by the water itself. Sean picked up his bits and ran for home. Not totally understanding the laws of the apparent time travel he had just experienced, Sean Palmer didn't know exactly how long he'd gone for. Had it been days, months, or possibly even years? Would his children be grown up? Would Mary have forgotten him and remarried? Would other daddy answer the door to him? The night was at its very darkest when he finally reached his little farm. He knocked nervously on the front door, not knowing what to expect. But to his almighty relief, Sean's eldest daughter answered the door, looking the exact same she had when he'd left earlier that day. You're very late, Daddy, she said. He apologised to her and went straight through to the kitchen to Mary. She was fuming. Where have you been, Sean Palmer? Up all night smoking and drinking and playing cards in Sean the Lux's shop. I swear to you, Mary, I never even made it to Sean the Lux. It was only then Mary noticed the clothes on his back. Where did you get that suit? Mary hadn't seen Sean in a suit since their wedding day. 
Sean then took a big deep breath and told his wife all of the events of his day. When he finished up, Mary said, I knew it. I knew you were as drunk as a skunk. Mary, I swear on all our children, all I've said is true. How else would I have managed to get all these things? I don't know, said Mary, softening a little. Then she threw her arms around him. Wherever you are, I'm glad you're home. Don't worry, Mary. Should I have a half a year's worth of tobacco here, that'll give me no reason to leave the house again for a good while. Well, at least you've got your priorities sorted out, laughed Mary. The next morning, Sean woke up with the weight of tiredness on him. He was relieved to see that his brother's suit and everything was still there. Final proof that he hadn't dreamed or imagined it. Himself and Mary had stayed up half the night trying to figure out what had happened. But there was no logic to it. Sean put on Paddy's suit and shoes. He wouldn't wait for a special occasion to dress up anymore. Life was now a special occasion to Sean Palmer. He had a smoke of his pipe and was grateful for the wife and his children and all he had around him. He made it his business to go into Crosshaven regularly, to fix up his little boat and to take it out often. Every time he did, he would thank the fairies. For whatever reason, there is no doubt that the good people had chosen to smile on Sean Palmer. The End P.S. It's not known what exactly happened to the egg woman, in case you were wondering. Another one soon showed up in her place. She's presumed dead, killed by the fairies. Well, they can never afford to be too sound, can they? P.P.S. Don't smoke. And there we have it. The Tobacco Quest, or a quest for tobacco, on Fireside. I hope you enjoyed it. I told you, it was it's quite an odyssey, isn't it? I will tell you, I'll tell you no word of a lie. Um, I had intended, I'll tell you why soon enough, um, I had intended to write two stories this week and to record two episodes in a row, because um, I knew what myth I wanted to do next week as well. And I had found this story quite recently, and I decided I'd do this one. And it ended up just kind of going on and on. But I just had such fun with it. Um, I just thought it was such a nice story. And I won't just keep saying nice. I do have reasons. So this story, um, this story came from a book, came from two books I had. Um, it it was in the Folk Tales of Ireland book by Sean O'Sullivan, who was the head of the Irish Folklore Commission. Um that's the one, that's the book I got after the Yeats and the Lady Gregory book. It's really good. And the stories are a lot shorter. So um, I do want to incorporate a few more stories from it, but I'll have to do um, almost collections of them because they're so short. So, for example, it's divided into sections and the first section is animals. Um, and there's like a series of very short stories about foxes. So I was thinking I might do like three or four of these short stories about foxes because there's not enough in any one of them individually to make one story, but they are really, really nice, really lovely little stories. So this story was in this book, but I actually hadn't read it there. So I haven't read the whole thing yet. I kind of, they're so dense and you get you get the odd dud story or the story that 
just uh, isn't right for the purposes of this podcast, certainly, or just didn't grab me. So I try to often go by uh, title. Now, sometimes I end up renaming, renaming the stories if I find a good one. Like with the man who had no story in the Yeats book, that's called Far Darig and Donegal, which I still don't totally know why. As if you want to call the four tall, dark strangers in that, the Far Darig, surely there'd be several ones and not just one. But that's besides the point. But I found that in the Folktales of Ireland, the Sean O'Sullivan book, as the man who had no story, which a far better name as far as I'm concerned. So this story was there um, as Sean Palmer and his visit to America with the fairies, and I'd never noticed it. But for Christmas, I was given, um, among a few other things, a few other lovely books, I was given a book called Irish Gothic Fairy Stories, which I had seen... um, I'd seen it in Hodges and Figgis in Dublin before, um, but I wasn't wasn't in the market for a new folktale book yet. Anyway, but my older brother uh, Kieran bought it for me for Christmas and took straight into it. Short enough, it's quite a recent book. I think it was only published um, just last year uh, by two people, uh, husband husband and wife called Steve Lally and Paula Flynn Lally. Um, I believe Steve Lally is a singer songwriter. I think I think they're both singer songwriters anyway, and they're folklorists and hippy dippy people. I know Paula Flynnlally for sure is a big believer in the fairies. So the um, what's really lovely about this book is there are stories from all thirty two counties in Ireland. It's a great idea, um, and there's a lovely um, there's a lovely introduction to each county. Um, most likely aimed at at uh, grabbing a foreign audience. It introduces like what each county name, where each county's name came from, where it came from in Ireland, and what folklore is associated with that county in particular. What famous storytellers came from it? Um, it's really interesting. I haven't read it all yet. I of course jumped straight to the Wicklow chapter, which is where I'm from. And I was I'm sorry to say now the Wicklow story isn't useful. It's very interesting. It's a dictation of a conversation between a husband and wife um, about arguing about which fairies were in their house. And it was apparently dictated directly. It was Lady Gregory who who took it down. Um, so it's really, it's really interesting s- scope, but just not useful for this story. Because first and foremost, you know, this story has and always will be about the stories themselves. And it's the tricky thing about Irish folklore. As I've possibly said before, um, is that a lot of the time when you come up against it there are still people who believe believe in the fairies and believe in the good people and certainly uh, Paula Flynn Lally um, one of these authors of this book she she claims to be certainly in the book that to be a b- big believer in the fairies so a lot of the stories in this book and in a lot of the books are are basically just about sightings so they're almost more like ghost stories because there's no um, reason or consequence it's just about the having seen with them as as I have said before a lot of Irish folklore is just about the message don't feck with the fairies and that is why I adore this story so much this um, tobacco quest story and why it grabbed me so much because with the vast majority of stories involving Irish fairies it's them 
messing with the humans. It's them robbing their babies. It's them cursing them. It's them doing this. It's doing that. It's them being evil. They're they're being menacing. Whereas in this story, for whatever reason, um, they decide to be really good to a human, and it it really just emphasizes the the devilish nature in Irish fairies, that it isn't that they are evil, it's just that they do whatever they want and that they can smile on you and just the power behind them. I do, those that have listened to The Man Who Had No Story, episode five, I believe, um, will remember that it was also four tall, dark strangers because one of the biggest, one of the biggest misconceptions about Irish fairies is, of course, that they're tiny. That they're like pixies, or worse, like leprechauns. Um, when the uh, the opposite is often true, is often that they are human-sized, which is far terrifying. I was saying this the other day, that uh, a fairy being human-sized makes them so much bigger than a human for how small you imagine them to be. So I imagine that the four dark strangers in uh, The Man Who Had No Story, who are being so cruel and so evil to Pat Diver, they're very similar. They're like a similar species, if not the exact same species, to these four four fairies who take uh, Sean Palmer to America here. I like... Um, there was no description given of these four men in either source of this story that I found, and that's something I quite liked. I like keeping the descriptions of them intentionally vague, because it makes them, I think it keeps them more ethereal, that you can't quite see them, that there's just not something totally there about them. What is, it's another thing that makes me compare this story a lot to The Man Who Had No Story, is the name. I've said before that I, for the most part, would like to keep, prefer fairy tales when they're an anonymous stock character, like they are in grim fairy tales often. It's a, you know, it's a woodcutter, it's a huntsman, it's a princess, it's a prince. Or if it is named, it's usually very, very common, like it's Hans or it's Jack, you know, um, in British folklore. Jack is is very much the British Hans, as Philip Pullman says in his Grim Fairy Tales book. Um, but these names, Pat Diver is such an unusual name. And same with Sean Palmer. They're not even, I wouldn't even associate them as a sp- Especially are like overly so Irish names. Certainly the surnames Diver and Palmer. I mean, they're very well maybe Irish. Um, but I could not include a name. Especially I love, I love the fairies particularly just using the full name constantly, Sean Palmer. There was a musicality to it I could just hear. Another big thing that drew this story to me, and not to get serious anyway, but this emigration has and probably always will be a massive, massive part of Irish culture. And considering a huge amount of when these stories would have come out would have been just before, during, and immediately after the famine, um, it's really nice to see a story address immigration. emigration. Like I was just looking before, and between... Between 1820 and 1930, four and a half million Irish people arrived in America. You know, that's that's nearly the entire population of it now. Um, And 
you know, there were several causes of that, most of which was, of course, the famine in 18... 1847 and 48, it is, sorry, yeah, Black 47. Terrible movie, apparently, but that will always help us remember that year. Um, that was, of course, a huge, huge part of emigration. I was re-watching Gangs of New York, the film, a few months ago. Um, for those of you who haven't seen it, um, do. If you haven't seen it in a while as well, re-watch it. It's not... I don't think it's actually rated as highly among Scorsese's movies as I think it should be. It's known, of course, for an incredible um, performance by Daniel Day-Lewis, as he's incredible in absolutely everything, as Bill the Butcher. It does feature some seriously dodgy Irish accents. Um, it's about it's about an Irish gang um, facing off against an American gang for control of a territory in very much post-famine era New York. I was reading up about that time in American history and that was when I, a population, the population of New York was about 800,000 and of those, 200,000 were Irish. So that's how many of us were there and that is how there are so, so many Irish Americans now and that's why everyone claims to have a little bit of Irish in them because they do. But that's why I love this story um, referencing emigration is our countries are so entwined and I certainly hope that this podcast, um, I know for a fact it is listened to by a number of American viewers, so they are listeners, so thank you so much if you're listening to this now um, and I hope you enjoy this story referencing the reason, you know, the main reason our countries are so connected Um but it also seemed, the final thing I would say is that it also seemed like a very good time for me to find this story because I myself, and I think I've mentioned this on a previous podcast before, I myself am about to go to America for the very first time. I'm going on a tour of America uh, with two shows, touring with a company uh, called GFD Promotions, which I've worked with for the last couple of years, a company very close to my heart. We're doing two shows over there. We're doing a show called Celtic Nights, which is an Irish music show. Um, and we're to also touring a show called The World of Musicals, which is West End and Broadway show tunes. And we're doing them in rep with each other, basically. So we're doing Celtic Nights for five weeks all around America, and then we're doing uh, World of Musicals for a month. Um, so if there are any American listeners to this podcast, um, check out the website, GFD Promotions, look up the shows, Celtic Nights, The World of Musicals. See if... we're see if we're in a place where um where you live because oh my god i would love to see to actually meet any american listeners of this podcast i certainly hope to be plugging the podcast massively while i am over there particularly celtic nights um celtic nights is going to be it's going to be six singers five irish dancers and five traditional irish musicians it's going to be a big explosion of an Irish show. It's one. It's a show I've wanted to do for a long time now and I'm really, really looking forward to it. Looking forward to World of Musicals as well, but I've done World of Musicals a few times before, so Celtic Nights is a totally fresh experience. But yes, I've never been to America at all and so I'm looking forward to it immensely. But where the podcast is concerned, I've said before that I always wanted to take the podcast on the road. I have the equipment now. I've got the Zoom H4, I've got myself two SM58 mics, I've got myself good gear to take the 
podcast on the road, and I'm very much looking forward to that. So this is where you guys come in, I suppose. I want to tie, if I'm taking the podcast on the road, I want to tie it all together. Now, I'm still toying about what, to, how exactly to do this. I think I am going to keep the bi-weekly myths going because I think I am starting to get into a flow now and we are going to start to be coming up on there's still one more big early Irish myth as I said last week to tease again probably the most famous famous probably the most famous Irish mythological story of all time the most recognizable um which I'm going to do next week so that will be that had I had intended this will of course be my last podcast recorded in the studio um, so my first road podcast will be the last myth, and so I might keep the my bi weekly myths going. But in terms of the folk tales, I have a few more I can do. It's up to you. I can keep going with the Irish folk tales, but I would like to tie it in with the tour in some way. So I can do this in a, in one or two ways. I can do American folk tales. I can have a look for some uh, Native American or some other. Um, some other American folklore and do stories on them. Or I can do episodes on the folk songs that we're going to be performing on the show. I still have to make up my mind myself. Maybe you guys could weigh in on that. Let me know what you'd like, which of those sounds good. If you want to get in touch with me, as always, um, I am on Instagram at Olahan Solo, O-L-O-H-A-N-S-O-L-O. The messages are, of course, coming into the message requests um, box, which I have only just discovered. Apologies if I haven't replied to you. I'm new relatively still to the whole Instagram thing. So now I know where those messages are coming into. So I will reply to the messages. Uh, thank you so much for sending them now that I've discovered them. Um you can get me there. Follow the Fireside page on Facebook. Um, please do continue to uh, subscribe, leave a rating and a review on the iTunes uh, page if that's where you're listening to. It really does make a difference. I want to crack into those podcast charts. I want this podcast to grow. I want it to be everything I hope it can be. So that's me for this week. And that's me this will be the last episode I record in the beautiful surroundings of the Head Stuff Podcast Network studio for a couple of months. I'm going to be gone until April, but that will not affect your podcast listening at all. There's still going to be a podcast every single week. I have a few in the can recorded already, and I'm going to get straight to um, setting the road gear up and recording while we're going to start while we're still in rehearsals. I'm rehearsing down in the Knightsbrook Hotel in Trim for the next couple of weeks, and then we take the shows on the road. I will still be here every single week, every Wednesday on Fireside. So thanks very much, as always, to the folks at Head Stuff. Thanks to Paddy and to Alan and to Jamie Reynolds, my wonderful producer for editing this all together. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you, or you will hear me, next week by the Fireside. Goodbye. This podcast is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network.